Good afternoon. Um, I'm going to go from sort of the modern uses to really perhaps the dawn of science. Uh, the first time that people started to settle and to notice things. And I know it's rather a big claim, but I, I would claim that actually the astronomies, and I'll, there are different interpretations, but astronomies that went on maybe up to 7,000 years ago are the basis of pretty much everything today. All our organization, politics, religion, uh, the way that we organize societies, all comes down to how they interpreted the sky and followed and predicted cycles of things. And those that had predictive ability, who just observed, and they were able to observe so much better than we are today, and I'm going to go into that, um, but were able to actually make plans and to establish one of the most important things for any society, and that is a calendar. And so um, I'm going to have uh, a look at some of these places. I live just along the valley from Avebury. Here are the big stones at Avebury. Much more exciting, I think, than Stonehenge. Much more accessible. You can actually go and hug the stones if you really want to go and do that. Um, but they're really impressive to walk among. And I think that Avebury is somewhere that, uh, if you haven't visited, it really is uh, worth visiting. Uh, I've got a little observatory there, which I run. Uh, I run a, an outreach group, and if you want to Google that, and if you're anywhere near, it's about an hour and a bit away from here, come to one of our open evenings. There are a lot of events that go on there, um, and I feel very lucky to have an observatory in a valley that I think has had observing uh, for about 7,000 years or so. Um, so there's Stonehenge. We, we know it very well. Uh, it's very famous. We don't really know what it's for. A lot of claims. I'm really glad to see that we're beginning to focus on what I think perhaps is more important, and that's that it's a winter place, not uh, for the summer at all, but let's keep people going in the summer because it's nice and warm and, uh, and there are loads of crowds there. And if you go in the winter, actually, there are more crowds now that people are saying that maybe it's to do with the winter. And I'm going to touch on why that might be so in a second. We don't know what it's for. We don't, lots of claims are made uh, about alignments and that sort of thing, but it may be much more of a gathering place, a temple, a place to, to actually have particular times of the year to gather and to um, instill knowledge. Although I think Avebury is even more important than that. And and uh, I think my take on, on some of these places is actually very much almost a university of their day. I also rather cheekily think that maybe Stonehenge was also showing off. I think it might be sort of Norman Foster of, it day, of its day because they could, they could carve these stones, whereas Avery is rough. They'd learned to carve them by the time Stonehenge was built. It was later, in fact, in its stones than Avebury. Um, and I think they were showing off. Rather like if you ask the question, you know, why do we have cities full of these incredibly tall glass buildings? Well, yes, there's a problem about space and accommodation, that sort of thing. But actually, one of the answers is because we can. Um, and people vie to have bigger and better stone circles. Um, one of the questions uh, for many people is, why do we think that Avery and Stonehenge are here? Why is it that there, that sort of star marks this incredibly important place in the UK? And I suspect on a global scale. Uh, in the early days, uh, people were able to come um, the, the, uh, right across. We know that people came from a long way to these places. And so they were very, very important. In fact, we think these were the most populous areas of the UK at the time. Well, we're just beginning to have an idea. So there's Avebury. Um, because there's a strange coincidence. You look at any map, and there's a strange coincidence that two rivers are basically coincide. And they're rivers that happen to be very much one east-west and one north-south. And we know that they were very interested in the cardinal directions, the north-south-east-west alignments 
um, because that helped them with the calendar and to orientate the sky. And so is it a coincidence? We don't know, of course, but is it a coincidence that actually it happens to be where these two main river systems um, coincide? And one of the jigsaws, and it's all a jigsaw puzzle when we're doing what's called archaeoastronomy, which is something that I do, um, it's putting together a, a jigsaw pieces of a puzzle Will we ever know what they did? No. But can we just begin to guess? And I think there are little pieces that come together, and some of the pieces suggest how important rivers were in their belief systems and some of their rituals. Um, now, I was, uh, I was, so that was the Avon, the other one. I was very lucky to be involved in a, a dig with the British, uh, English Heritage um, when I went down to meet this guy, Jim Leary, and they were excavating a, another big henge. These are big ditches with ramp, uh, sort of earthworks uh, thrown out to the to the side. These are called hinges. And Marden's one that people really don't know about very much. Um, but we found there, he found there, uh, this amazing, uh, A, the oldest building in the whole of the UK um, is there that wasn't actually a habitable building, but it was like a sort of sweat house, a gathering place. But also he found loads, hundreds and thousands of pig bones. It was a feasting place. It was a place of gathering. And I suspect that these gatherings and these Places for were very much in midwinter because the worst time in the year, and we've just passed it, although actually we're probably still going to get some snow, but for the ancient, the worst time in the year must have been, we can surmise, the point of maximum darkness where the day is at its shortest and you're not even sure you're going to get a new year. And at that part, then perhaps to gather and to reaffirm the fact that, yes, the day is going to lengthen again. The sun is going to spend more time in the sky. It's probably one of the most important times of the year. And I think that that is something that, that binds a lot of these sites together. Um, this is a very well-known photograph um, from space of the light pollution that is being pumped up by our cities. Um, and this is, I think, the worst scourge of our whole age that we live in. This light pollution, which scatters sky glow across the whole globe, slightly less bad in the southern hemisphere, which is why a lot of the telescopes are going down there, um, but in the northern hemisphere, you can hardly ever get away from it. And it's preventing generations of seeing the beautiful dark skies. We should be able to see the skies that the ancients saw. They haven't changed. Yeah, there are a few satellites and some airplanes zipping around, but the basic skies are the only thing we haven't managed to alter most of the things we've altered in a fairly bad way, but this is one of the untouched things. We should see the sky that they saw and therefore be able to see what was important. And it's different to what we see today because it's not the stars that are the most obvious things. And anyone who's been to somewhere really dark will know that. I love to put up this little slide because as an astronomer, I go around a lot of astronomy societies and we talk a lot about objects in the sky and there's some fantastic objects called globular clusters, millions of stars in groups, sort of like little swarms of bees around our own galaxy, the Milky Way. And I ask people which globular cluster this is and the answer is it's M25. If you're an astronomer, you know that there are Messier objects called M, but this is M25 and sadly this is us polluting the sky with light um, and we can't see the ancient skies. Um, so, um, what would we see? Well, first things that we would notice is that only one star stays still in the night sky, um, and that is Polaris, the pole star, which uh, you can see just in the middle there, and all other stars go round in anti-clockwise circles. And here's the saucepan, you can see the handle and the pan, here are the two pointer stars, and I know that in six hours time they'll be up there, in 12 hours they'll be over there, okay? so you can actually tell the time. These are little handles of a clock. And all of the ancients would have known that. And so actually, not only did they have calendars, and I'll show you how they did that, but they basically have a clock on a sort of hour-to-hour -hour basis uh, if they needed to do so. Um, 
We have famous areas in the sky. Uh, the, the winter sky is perhaps one of the best known with bright stars. There are more bright stars in this patch in the northern sky than anywhere else. Here's Orion and its belt and Betelgeuse. But the belt of the stars is one of those patterns, they're called asterisms, which is perhaps the most known in the sky because it is three bright stars. And they point down to the brightest star in our sky, apart from the sun. But in the night sky, the brightest star is Sirius, the dog star. And so the ancients were able to use bright stars to tell particular times of the year. And in Egypt, they realized that when they first were able to see Sirius in the dawn sky, that seemed to coincide with the Nile flooding. Now, they actually connected the two and thought that this was causing the Nile flooding. Now, that isn't, we think, probably the case. Um, but they were able to predict the time of year. And so there is every reason to suspect that because they, this was so important to them in their whole belief system, that the pyramids, which are in a line of three, two, and then one slightly to the side, are a representation of Orion's belt. People make claims about what things represent, but in this particular case, the two pieces of the jigsaw fit. And sometimes uh, people bring to me pottery or jewelry with a line of three dots and say, is this astronomically orientated jewelry? Well, three dots in a line, anyone could do that. But if there are two and one slightly off to the side, and interestingly in the Southern Hemisphere, you often get it inverted on the diagram, then there's a good chance that actually it's Orion's belt that is being uh, represented. So they were able to see patterns, notice things, predict what was going to happen around them in their daily life, and actually structure their existence. So this is the first time they were observing, using the data, predicting really the beginning of the, beginning of the scientific method. So here they are. The three big pyramids off to the side, and then a little another um, ex extra model off to the side there. So they did structures. And the other question that people must, you must ask is, why are these things so big? The answer is they meant so much to them, and these will last. Okay, Long after all the buildings and things have gone of our era here and all our modern technology, long after that is gone, for whatever reason, but we will still have things like the pyramids, the stone circles at Avebury, Stonehenge. These are lasting structures. And more than that, they took so long to build. They were so important that it involved thousands and thousands of people over generations. We don't have that patience nowadays. If you say you want something built, you expect it built within a few months or a few years. You don't expect never to see it built, or your children never to see it built. But they had that important drive to actually keep these things uh, keep these things going. Now, the last little bit of, of what I'm going to talk about is, is some of the things, another little clue as to what really mattered to them. And of course, burial is important, and death was scary to them as it is to us. And they wanted to make sense of it. They wanted to see that there was some sense between the existence here and maybe existence elsewhere. And we know that there was a synergy between rising stars and birth and setting stars and death, and the rising sun being born and setting something. So when you looked at that diagram I showed of the stars that go round and round Polaris, which are called circumpolar stars, they never rise or set. So they felt they were very special stars that never were born, never died. They were immortal. And so that area of the sky became a really important point for them but so too was the birth point of the sun, and that is east. And so what you find, and look at the dates, these are really early, pre-Stonehenge, pre-Avebrit its height. These are burial chambers, multiple chambers with a big stone at the end, pointing due east-west, so that on a particular day in the year, and these are rather 
keenly fixed, rather uh, delicately fixed days, the equinoxes, the 21st of March, 23rd, 22nd of September. These are days when the sun would have exactly been in the right line and they'd have been able to see this. Um, and actually, they use this effect. Uh, this is one, this is an East Kennet Long Barrow that people don't know about so much. It's on private land, so you can't go visit it. You can visit the other one. But this is actually orientated towards the solstice, to the winter solstice. So you have an equinoctial one and a solstice one, dividing up the year nicely into two of the main two of the main points. And some of you may know about this, someone may even have been. Has anyone been to Newgrange? Um, this is a tomb in Ireland where you can book, you have to do it through the Irish uh, government, um, you can book to be in there at the point of winter solstice when at the dawn, the sun, just on that day, actually, there's a little bit either side, the, the solstices are not so well fixed. The sun starts to rise or stops rising any further north along the horizon. It's called the stationary point, the solstice. And actually, it takes about four days for you to really notice the difference. But you can book in here, and the sunlight sort of trickles down like sort of treacle or golden syrup. Um, and we know it's a solar event because these markers are used all over the ancient world to represent the sun, these sun squirrels. Um, and so this is telling them that it's that day in the year. But these are burial chambers. Okay, so why have it in there? There's no one in there with a sort of not a watch, but a little thing saying, oh, December 21st, or whatever they were going to call it. Um, so it wasn't for that at all. There's no one inside. The people inside are dead. So why would they be interested in this moment in the year of great importance, the winter solstice, when the sun rises, and for the first time they realize that there is going to be a new year, the end of the dark patch has come. Well, of course, it's because the sunlight is coming in, beams from the sun, the source of life. And they thought, at least one of the interpretations is that they thought that this link was a chance for the souls to then link with the sun on this particular day that the sunlight would come in and that would be the link with the, uh, with the, with the afterlife. And so um, they didn't even keep the same people in these tombs, not like some of the Bronze Age burials later where they buried you know, important people and kept them buried. These ones, they actually had a changing population of people. So after a few generations, when they didn't know and the, perhaps they joined the uh, stars and the immortals. Um, they actually removed the uh, incumbents of the tomb. Possibly they put them into the rivers, which I referred to earlier, and then they put in um, a new lot of people. Once, once you've forgotten about your great-great-grandparents, then you would put in the next generations that you, that you knew. And these solar uh, markers come all over the world. Here's one in, in the US, right at the back of a cave. And the sun only gets there on this particular day of the year. And we mustn't forget, too, that we've used solar markers um, in our Christian society. Here is a church in Italy, in Florence, where there's a hole, an oculus in the ceiling, and the sunlight falls on the floor, and you can't probably see it here, but actually on the floor are all the astrological symbols, the times of the year where the sun is, the zodiac, so-called. And when it reaches this point here, then it's the summer solstice. And that enables the church to fix the time in the year because they wanted to do that in order to fix Easter. Because Easter, this great feast in March, is actually, or March, April, is actually an astronomically fixed feast. And the definition of the day, the Sunday that Easter falls on, is the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. So March the 21st, if that was a full moon, you could have Easter on March the 22nd if it was a Sunday. But that's why Easter keeps moving. And they needed to fix that in the year to fix their, to fix their calendar. I'm nearly there, but, uh, sorry, that's... Uh, 
uh, and this was a great discovery um, about five years ago. Um, here is a real uh, discovery from we're standing in some temple in Peru, and looking at the horizon, you can actually see notches, really big, sort of maybe 10 meter notches, and the sun appears in each of these each month. So you can actually keep a track. It's like a monthly and annual sundial. So we know that one of the things they were really interested in was, was that. Um, and uh, I'm running out of time here, but what I was going to say, without the light pollution, actually it's the Milky Way that's the most important. It's the first thing you notice in the sky, this great splash of white, and we hardly ever see it now because it's drowned out. But when you do see it, then you really notice that it has features in it. And one of the things, I'm just going to refer to one particular uh, belief system. Deneb is a very bright star just where the Milky Way appears to split. And the ancient Egyptians thought that the Milky Way was a goddess lying across the sky. They called her Nut, from which we get the French word Nui. And they thought her legs parted here. And they believed that this was the birthplace of Ra, the sun. And Deneb is at the top of what we call the Northern Cross. There it is, uh, sometimes called Cygnus. Um, but this symbol here, as a cross, we think is vastly early and predates any Christian symbol. But if you know the Egyptian symbol, the Ankh, with a circle and cross, then maybe this is the origin of that, and perhaps this is the origin of the female symbol, for the very reason of their belief system. Um, there's also, on the here, you can see one, a, a galaxy, um, M31, our nearest big galaxy. Um, so I'm going to finish with this. That's some, sadly what uh, my sky looks like uh, an awful lot of the time, streetlights. That's what we'd sort of hope for in this, this country with, there's the Milky Way beginning to be visible, people nicely using red lights as they should. Uh, but sadly, we don't often get skies that look like that. And uh, I think if uh, everyone could complain about dark skies and campaign that lights should be kept down, uh, that would be a very good thing indeed. Now, I know that we're both, we've got a couple of minutes at maximum, um, both happy to take questions, so thank you. Okay, thank you. Very nice.